Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Regularly through the show, we'll know that we've had many conversations about big tech, both as a problem and a solution to our current woes. So is big tech the problem, or is it the solution, or is it both? Mael uh, Gave is uh, a French-born, now living in New York, entrepreneur, founder, and upcoming author. She has a new book out in August called Trampled by Unicorns. Uh, Mael uh, Gave addresses the issue of why tech is both the problem and the solution, particularly big tech. Uh, Mael, is that a fair way of putting it? Is big tech at the root of many of the contemporary problems of our age? Yes, I, I do think so. I think they play a really important role, and so I'm, I'm not here to say that they shouldn't be uh, they shouldn't be uh, considered as part of the solution either. But I think, yeah, they because they are embedded into so many aspects of our day to day life, they are definitely uh, they're definitely part of the problem and part of the solution. You think, in grand historical terms, you had a piece. Um, in uh, Fast Company recently, in which you argue that Mark Zuckerberg is on the wrong side of history. I don't want this conversation to just be about Zuckerberg, but do you think that big tech is in danger of more broadly being on the wrong side of history, of becoming a footnote to the dramatic changes going on today? Um, so I think first they're trying really hard to be history, uh, to be the history, to write history. Um, and they have to make some choices and sometimes they make what I consider to be the wrong choices, but it doesn't mean that they're not thinking about it a lot. Um, I do think that when we talk about Facebook in general, as I wrote in my article, um, the way they are currently answering some of the big questions uh, we as a society are asking around democracy, around free speech, around um, around um, everything, around fake news. I think the answer, yes, is the wrong one. And I think as, as we see the world evolve, we'll come to the conclusion that these were the wrong decisions. You focus in this upcoming book, Trampled by Unicorns, on the absence of empathy in big tech. You say big tech's, uh, the, the subtitle of your book is Big Tech's Empathy Problem and How to Fix It. So before we get to the fix, what's the problem with big tech's failure to include empathy, perhaps both in its corporate culture and its products? Um, so it's a, what were you asking me is to summarize my book? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think that big tech started or, or tech company, because before they were big, they were just, you know, small startups. Um, I think that they, they try to solve problems 
thinking about it mainly from an engineering perspective. Historically, they have most of these companies have been built by engineers, and they had really this um, this idea that you could solve a lot of problem by putting good code into actions. And as I've been working in tech now for, for over 15 years, this has been an ongoing conversation, which is you don't build good product, you don't build good solution based on good code. You build good solution based on good people that will then build good code. And I think it's just, this started with the technology part rather than the human part. And I think that has led to this fundamental misalignment uh, between uh, what they are trying, the, between the technology that they're bringing to the world and the fact that it's missing the human element. Is this, when you say the missing of the human element, is that empathy? And, or, or how would you define empathy? So empathy is, uh, is this ability, is this skills that uh, we as human beings have to recognize and, um, and feel what other people are going through, experiencing, feeling themselves. It is not the same way as sympathizing. You can recognize and understand what other people are, are doing and still not agree with it. But this is disability in, in, in a, another way to say it is disability to put yourself in the shoes of other people, to understand where they're coming from. Do you think that's Mark Zuckerberg's problem is that he, he somehow cannot be empathetic? So... Mark Zuckerberg is not a close friend of mine. I've actually never met him, so I would I would want to be careful be, before judging someone that I've actually never met. Uh, I would say that based on external elements, uh, the way he displays himself, the way he, he talks, the way he makes decisions, or he seems to be making decisions, empathy doesn't seem to be a strong suit. But again, I would want to be very careful because I have never met him in person. Uh, my sense of, of Zuckerberg is he might become a bit empathetic, a bit more empathetic uh, if he had a less severe hair style. What do you think of that? <laughs> um, it's, a, it's interesting. I like the fact that we are going to talk about the haircut of a man because uh, it's usually this kind of conversation are really focused on women. So kudos to you for that. <laughs> well, Maya, we're, we're, we're six minutes into this thing. And of course, uh, you bring up the, the, the woman issue. How essential is it? You're obviously a, a female entrepreneur. You spent your life in tech. I'm sure you've got many stories, mostly which can't be broadcast on this kind of show about the experiences of women in tech. Um, how bound up together do you think tech's problem with women and tech's problem with empathy is? Um, I, I think this is to be put in the broader context of tech issue to put human back at the center of everything they do. Uh, I don't think it's a specific problem with women. Um, I think it's a general problem in understanding that humans are complex, they're messy, but they are uh, we as tech people, we are working for people. We we are not working for tech. Like tech should be working for people rather than people working for tech in general. And so I think women have been 
in many, many circumstances, unfortunately, on the wrong side of this lack of empathy, but they are by far not the only one. Um, I'm actually writing my next my next article about uh, diversity in tech and how much we can learn from the Me Too movement and how it impacted tech and what it means for the Black Lives Matter movement that is currently ongoing. And, and I think that in general, it's just a question of, do we want as tech executive work for humanity and really, really make the world a better place for people? You suggest in your book, or I think you will suggest in your book, that techers, and I, and I use this word carefully, sidelined side morality. Is that fair? I think in many cases it did. Um, I don't know if it was done purposefully. I want to believe that it wasn't. Uh, when I when I talk to my peers, uh, when I look at a lot of people that I know, I don't think they are purposefully ignoring morals, but I do think that they are often making decisions that make them forget uh, some moral aspects of this decision. So if we talk about, for example, free speech, um, I think that the Facebook people, for example, are, are really, really struggling to find the answer, and it's hard. Uh, it is a really hard question, but I think that the, the fundamental problem is that they are operating under three assumptions that they're not questioning enough. And I think because they're not questioning these assumptions enough, then it becomes a question of are they making, uh, are they ignoring morals and, and the impact, the ethical impact of what they're doing? And so the three assumptions I keep talking to them about is one, this assumption that somehow uh, social networks are not already limiting free speech, um, which by the very nature of their business, which relies on uh, maximizing the user-generated content, uh, which means that they have at some point to filter it so that user can actually find their way around this unbelievable content. So by definition, they are filtering content. They are limiting free speech. But that, that assumption is rarely questioned. The second, which is rarely questioned, is... Um, this idea that uh, social networks, without social network, there is no free speech anymore. And I, I understand that social networks have a key role to play in, in free speech, but we had free speech before. And also free speech uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they couldn't exercise some editorial judgment. If you look at traditional media, uh, you have the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. They have very different editorial take. And yet we consider that both of them are very important to free speech. And then the last one, which is to me the most important, uh, and one that I haven't honestly found a perfect answer to, is this idea that freedom of speech somehow is more important than anything else. Um, and, and we have the 20th and, and the 21st century to remind us how important uh, free speech is to democracy. But at the same time, this absolute view that free speech is more important than anything else um, makes us agree uh, to minimize 
other things that could actually be equally important, the right to privacy, for example, uh, to name one of them. And so, sorry for the long answer, but what I was trying to say is this idea that I don't think people in tech in general are immoral. I do think that they're really trying to build a better world, but I think they often operate under a set of unchallenged assumptions that makes them... uh, go to conclusions that are very, very questionable. And I think most of the debate should be less about the conclusion and the decisions and whether these decisions are moral or not, and more about the underlying assumptions that make these people believe that their conclusion is right. Mael, you uh, you graduated from three very distinguished uh, universities in France, including the Sorbonne. Is the solution simply more education? All these kids, the Zuckerbergs who drop out of college, should they be majoring like you in political philosophy or, or, or humanities in general? Ooh, big question. Um, so I think there are a lot of debates around the role of education and not all education are equal. Um, I, I do think that... Um, Beyond the question of just like, should they go back to school? There is this, uh, there is a question of, should you be educated in more than just engineering skills? And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go back to school. University may not be the model uh, to make sure that people have um, all the required skills to uh, live in the current world. But I do think that, yes, a better understanding of history, a better understanding of human psychology, a better understanding of uh, sociology, of how people behave with each other as individual and as a group, a better uh, knowledge of all the big philosophical debates uh, that have been, uh, that have happened in the past uh, would definitely help make the world probably slightly black and white and help them think through some of the complexity and messiness of humanity. Mael, some people in Silicon Valley will be listening to this and thinking, oh, here's just another whiny liberal European <laughs> uh, who's somehow unhappy about the domination of Silicon Valley. I know you you live in, in, in New York now yes. and you're as much American as, as European. But in all seriousness, um, why can't the Europeans found more ethical tech companies? You you spent some of your your working life in Russia. Yes. Uh, you're born in France. You you've spent obviously much of your life in Europe. Um, what's the problem with Europe here? Why why can't they simply <laughs> build more ethical versions of Google or Facebook or Amazon? What's the problem with us? All right. So let me first say what I find fascinating to me is that when when I'm uh, when I'm in the U.S., usually I am being told that I'm some kind of socialist slash communist uh, that wants the government to regulate everything. And then when I go to Europe, because my family still still live in France, then I'm hearing, "Oh my God, you're such a capitalist, a liberal! Like you want everything to be completely without the government." So it's it's fascinating to see. How the and I don't change my opinion when I cross the Atlantic. It's fascinating to me to see how the same exact opinion can be interpreted differently on both sides. But now to answer your question, um, 
I absolutely think that uh, Europe needs to do a better job. Um, I think that there are multiple reasons why um, Europe hasn't built as many tech unicorns. Um, and and I do think that we should do a better job. So among, among the multiple reasons, the fact that while we do have a population which is larger than the United States, it's a population uh, that is divided into multiple countries. We do not have a single language. We do have a very, we now have a single currency, um, but we didn't have it for a really long time. Um, and then, but we, and we still have different tax codes, for example, if you're, if you're a European company operating in Europe, it, it is actually really, really hard because different rules apply depending on where you operate. Um, we don't have a good enough investment ecosystem. It has been improved, but it's nowhere near where it is in the U.S. And the U.S. is very actively, including from a legislative perspective, has very actively um, helped develop a healthy investment ecosystem that has hugely benefited uh, the, 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 the big tech. And then there is... Um, Probably what I would call culture that I'm um, I'm already expecting my European peers to disagree with me, but I'm still going to go and say it. I do think that America was built on on these ideas that everything is possible, uh, that the sky is the limit, and uh, if you work hard enough, you can make it. I think Europe, largely because of the history that we have. Um, has a different culture. It is a much more risk-adverse culture, one that thinks a lot more about the, the negative, the downfall, the risk. And so because of that, I think it's, um, it's less likely, and again, I can already hear my European peers screaming at me, but I think it is less likely to find big risk takers. And there are exceptions, obviously, uh, if you look at companies like Black Black Car in France or Spotify, I mean, they, they are definitely big tech companies, but I, I think we don't have as much this culture of risk taking and, and making the impossible possible. And are the European unicorns more or less likely to trample on us? Uh, all right, so I'm very biased. Uh, I will recognize that from the get-go. I, I would say probably less um, because I think it's more into our psyche to think about the consequences, um, the moral consequences, the human consequences um, of some of the decision we're making. Now, again, I'm, I'm speaking in very broad stroke, and there are exceptions on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, but I would say that European society in general um, are more focused on the society than on the individual. And again, it has downfall. I mean, one of my American friends keep telling me that there are two problems with French people. The first one is that they, uh, they don't uh, like success. And the second one is that they don't like failure. Uh, and so it's 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 a much more egalitarian society in general, and because of that, uh, bigger than life individuals are 
that can potentially build these big techs are probably uh, having a harder time. Finally, uh, Mael, uh, what are you reading at the moment? You're stuck in New York during the, the lockdown. Um, what books are, are, are keeping your mind busy? So my, my biggest problem is that I usually read about five books at the same time, which I'm not sure it's optimal. But, uh, so what am I reading at the moment? I am rereading the autobiographies of Maya Angelou, uh, which is one of my favorite writers. And she's she's her her words are amazing. And it's her experience um, as a black person in America is is illuminating in many, many aspects. Um, I am reading uh, a book that was recommended by a friend of mine called The Forgotten Man, uh, which is about the Great Depression. And I am always really bad. And, and, and sorry to jump in there. That's yeah. by uh, Amity Schles, who, who was on the show too, a very interesting book exactly. about the Great Depression. Exactly. I always have a problem with last names, it, uh, so I always shy away from pronouncing them. But yes, it's exactly that person. <laughs> um, and then I've been, I've, been reading, uh, I've been reading again Why Nations Fail. And on this one, I will definitely not pronounce the name of the authors oh the the there is one which is called james robinson so that one i can pronounce uh which is about um origin of power and and how how nations uh raise and fail and in the context of what's happening in the u.s uh i find that really interesting too finally finally uh Mayel america success or failure one word um <laughs> uh... I'm a positive person, so success. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.